Thank you, Nate. We're fortunate to have him with us. When I moved here 16 years ago, I asked my family who lived up here if they knew of anybody who played guitar who could give lessons. And my brother-in-law said, I know this kid in Independence and he might be okay. And so that began my relationship. And somewhere along the way, Nate said in one of our lessons, you know, Kev, if you ever have a church that needs a guitarist, I'd kind of like to try that. I said, okay. And we got him here that week. And he worked with Taylor Quinn for several years, and the rest is history. So we're fortunate to have him here. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, this morning. Book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts, chapter 16. Continuing in our series, what I learned from looking at different people in biblical stories and seeing if they could teach us something. Just imagine if you could talk to some of these people we read about in the Bible. If they could talk to us, what would they say? What things would stick up in their mind? And what things would they say if they could just come here 2,000 years later and think of something that would mean something to us? So today we're going to look at Paul and Silas. Now for you Bible jockeys out there, those who are into the details of Scripture, Silas and Silvanus were probably the same people. So when you read the book of Acts and see Silas or Silvanus, that may have been the same people. We don't know for sure, but that's what most of the scholars think. If you don't like what the scholars say, that's okay. If you like what they say, good for you. And uh, so it's just FYI for those of you that are interested in those details. I have found that with... Most people, when I talk about details, I get the eye roll that I know so well from my wife. She says, Kevin, no one cares. So, there you go. <laughs> so anyway, Silas or Silvanus traveled with Paul. Either of them, whether they were the same people or not, Paul and Silas are going to talk to us today and give us an idea of what is going on. As you continue to look for that, I uh, jotted down some notes about Mother's Day, and I don't typically preach Mother's Day sermons for a whole lot of reasons. One of them is after about 40 years I've said all I can say and it's all good about moms but I was thinking today if I were going to talk about moms of course I, I watch the news every night like you do and I turn on the news during the day like you do and the only thing that makes the news other than the fussing of politics here in America is the Ukraine war and when I think of what's going on in Ukraine, I think of those images of mamas carrying babies. That dominates the stories, doesn't it? I mean, it's tragic that buildings are blown up, but you know, really, buildings are buildings. Trees grow back, we can rebuild buildings. And yet, men are off fighting, and civilization continues because mamas carry babies. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That in the middle of everything, when people are literally dying all around you and one of the largest militaries in human history has it as aim to kill you, there's a young mama carrying a baby, sometimes two or three young babies. And it's interesting, and you've seen this before, but one of the hot items in Ukraine now is a baby carriage. And if people can get baby carriages over there, that's a big thing because it allows a mama to get a baby off her hip for a while and give them a break. But they're heroes, aren't they? You know, we talk about heroes and people who do great things. Sometimes the real heroes are the ones who stand back and just do what has to be done. No glory there. Just hard work. In one interview I saw a young mama, baby in tow, couple of toddlers around, baby on her hip, said, what do you do? She goes, we pray. 
all she could do. Folks, that's a hero. God instilled within mamas this thing that allows them to sacrifice everything for their babies. It's a wonderful thing. Join with me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you again for the way you've designed us and created us and given us a family system that when we follow it and live with you, you nurture us and take care of our needs. We are fed and clothed and nurtured and can grow strong. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this gift of mothers and motherhood that when done according to plan, when women live within biblical teachings and just follow your desires, families thrive. Thank you. We thank you for that example of faith for the example of faithfulness to the cause that mothers can give us so often. Thank you, Father. Lord, this morning we come to you in worship, recognizing that our world struggles with all the things that you want us to do. In our culture, we struggle with the concept of motherhood. What's good and bad and who should and who shouldn't and all those things. We fuss over the most minute details. We ask for mercy and forgiveness when we stray. We ask for grace that you would help us to see the way of life. Work your will, Father. Teach us. Use our mistakes to teach us and show us a better way. Help us, Father. We ask for forgiveness for our sin. We ask for help for our leaders, for those who exert control over our lives, for those that have power over millions and billions of dollars, those who control our military. Give them guidance and wisdom and discernment. We pray for an end to the hostilities, both in Ukraine and all over the world. We can't do it on our own, Father. We've tried and we failed. Help us. And Lord, again, we thank you for this life for spring, for warm weather, for rain and the flowers and all that stuff that just gives our lives meaning and joy. We thank you. Help us to appreciate you, Father. Work within us and our hearts a work of thankfulness and hope. Be with us now, Father. Teach us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I said earlier that I'm not going to preach a Mother's Day sermon and I won't. But in this story, there is a mama doing her job. She's not normally recognized as a mama, but she was doing her job as a mama. Here's the story. God is always at work, even when you can't see it. Paul and his group, Sylvain or Sir Silas, whatever, and others were traveling, and he received a call from the Macedonian. You remember the vision. Come over here. So Paul changed his plans and made his way to Macedonia, a big deal. And he began to preach Jesus. And he arrived at a place, and the first thing he did was he preached Jesus, and he found a group of women in a prayer meeting. And they weren't Christians, they were just believers in God, practicing the Jewish faith. And one of them, 
Lydia got saved. She was open to the gospel, and we don't know much about her. She was a seller of purple. The fact that she was a businesswoman meant she was probably single. We don't know that. The fact that she was mentioned without mention of husband meant she was probably single. The fact that she was traveling and she wasn't home meant she was probably pretty successful. Purple had a special place in that ancient culture. So if you could sell purple cloth and purple dye, you probably had quite a bit of money. The fact that she was traveling all over the world indicates that business thing. She got saved. End of story. Paul went on to another city, and really that's all we know about Lydia for that time. Paul went to another city, began to preach, and there was this little girl following him. And she kept proclaiming that this was a man who preached the truth. And it annoyed Paul greatly. What was happening was, she was interrupting him. She was a little girl, we don't know how old, young teen probably. And she had the spirit of divination, Luke says, which meant there was something within her who enabled her to perceive situations and say things that no one else understood. And so she was using that gift or that curse of whatever you want, but she had that spirit of divination, and she was not on her own. She was owned by a group of entrepreneurs who were making money. So she was slave, nothing free about her. Mama and daddy had probably sold her. She was a problem. They didn't know what to do with her. She wasn't right. She was difficult. She kept saying things that people didn't want to hear. So probably they sold her just to get rid of her. Just because sometimes parents in ancient cultures just sell their children because they don't know what else to do. It's a very tragic thing. But anyway, the people who owned this woman, this young girl, used her and they would charge money for her divination and those kinds of things. And She was making them a lot of money and she annoyed Paul greatly. What was happening was, while he was trying to preach Jesus and trying to talk about scripture, she was interrupting him. And finally, after several days, he just turned and in frustration, cast the demon out of her. And it was really that simple. No formula, no uh, necessarily a big deal. Just, he just cast the demon out of her and the spirit of divination left her. And she became worthless to those owners because a little girl that can't do anything other than stand there is just a little girl who stands there. And in an ancient culture, no one wanted that. Her parents weren't there. A slave who can no longer work isn't worth anything. She couldn't even be sold. So predictably, her owners were furious. So what they did, they stirred up the crowd because Paul and Sylvanus ruined their moneymaker. So what they did, they brought him before the magistrates. And what that meant was they took him to court. And it was a very official thing. And they worked up the crowd. And the crowd put pressure on the magistrates. And they beat Paul and Sylvanus and others and beat him with a rod. And that was standard fare. And they just beat him up and left him on the ground. And then they threw him into prison. The jailer was Roman was afraid for his life because if your prisoner escaped you would be put to death so he took him down to the utmost of prison security systems put their stocks and left them in the dark and then about midnight they started singing hymns I want to say Amazing Grace but that hadn't been written yet but they were singing hymns and there was an earthquake and then the earth shook and the doors came open and the jailer ran down to check what was going on and the soldiers were there and the prisoners were free and he took a sword and he was going to kill himself because he didn't want to be tortured by the Roman guard and Paul stopped him 
he and Silvanus talked to him. You know the story of the Philippian jailer, don't you? He received Jesus as Savior. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And they did that. That's not the end of the story, though. The crazy thing is, it wasn't over with because Paul was a Roman citizen and no one had bothered to ask him that. And it was illegal to jail a citizen without a high court ruling. And they didn't know what to do because they had beaten this guy senseless. So the magistrates and people in power, they were afraid because they knew they were toast if anybody found out about it. And they went and apologized. Things were said. And he went on his way. And on his way out of town, he stopped at Lydia's house again and encouraged them in the faith. Lydia's that mother that never makes the headlines. Lydia and her household have received Jesus when they first got into town. You remember that. And then on their way out of town, the last one they stopped and talked to was Lydia and her family. So follow along with me. And we're going to see that there are a whole lot of things we can learn from this. And one of the things we learn is that we live in a world that is unfair. Follow along with me, please. Acts 16, verses 16 through 24. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said... These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and they are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, and fasten their feet in the stocks. Isn't it amazing that we have this idea of fairness and justice within us? I was at my daughter's house several months ago, and uh, you know, my daughter's house is full of little kids. One in particular, she's got three little kids, three little girls. And as you can know, and I can imagine, when you have three little girls, there's a whole lot of emotion going on, and lots of drama, and there are no quiet, easy meals, and there's no quiet evenings at this household. It's a wonderful place, but it drives you nuts if you're not ready for it. So we were there, we were having a meal, and the kids were done, and they had gone off to play, and it was all having, we were all having an adult conversation. And that's a rare thing in that household. And in the middle of this adult conversation, we heard this explosion of tears and, and things being thrown, and all those kinds of things. And so we, as a group of adults, were going to go fix the problem. And so we walked in and they were screaming and crying and they were blah, 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 you know, the whole deal you can imagine. And then in the middle of this all, we heard this piercing voice, that's not fair. And we knew then that there was nothing we could say to fix it. Somebody had done somebody wrong. Mama swooped in though, as mamas do, and mama did her job. She hugged, she gave stern looks, 
She hugged some more. They all cried and wept and wailed and gnashed their teeth together. And it was all over in just a couple of minutes. And eventually, everybody was wonderful again. And we went back and finished our meal and had a great conversation. It's not fair. Little kids know that, don't they? It's not fair. You don't have to teach them. They just know. God created within us this sense of justice and fairness because it's like he is. We are created in the image of God. We think like he thinks. We value naturally the things that he values. And justice and fairness, the idea that things are taught correctly, is important. On Fridays and Saturdays, I watch Matt Dillon. Remember him? Great guy. He's one of those guys, kind of like uh, Detector Harry Callahan and, and some others, that, you know, they beat up the bad guys and lift up the good guys. Just a great story. It's amazing to me, though, that back in the 60s, 62 and 63 is when those shows were made, that the criminals, who were always the bad guys, when Matt Dillon lays the law down, they always say, that's not fair, Sheriff. And even the bad guys know when something doesn't seem fair. We know that. God created us for things to be fair. And unfortunately, we live in a world where it isn't fair. So on screen, you can see this idea that we live in a world where things aren't fair. It's not fair that one of the greatest militaries in the world has attacked Ukraine. It's not fair what people have done to each other. We look in our society and it's not fair what happens. And you know that. And if Paul and Sylvanus were here today, you know what they would say? You're right. It's not fair. Life, this world, isn't fair. The story we read demonstrates this in a couple of ways. First of all, the strong tend to use and exploit the weak. Remember the gist of the story. The young girl, demon-possessed with a spirit of divination, was purchased, maybe stolen, from her parents. And they were using her to make money, squeezing her to exercise her abilities and doing all sorts of things, blackmail, extortion. You imagine it. If you had someone who could perceive things that were hidden, you could use that to your advantage. This is exactly what was going on. Now, it didn't matter that they were using this little girl at her expense and they weren't paying her. They fed her just enough to keep her alive. They dressed her just well enough to have some kind of respectability. And they did not care about her at all. And we almost don't notice that. Fact is, I'll be honest with you, I feel a little guilty. I've preached this passage probably 20 or 30 times in the 40 years I've been a pastor. It's never occurred to me that one of the problems in this story was that there was a little girl being exploited by some very evil people. Now, I say evil people, I kind of have to qualify that because they were the good people. The good people. The people who made money, who paid taxes, who made sure that the magistrates would rule as they wanted. The leaders of the class. They were the ones that were exploiting someone who couldn't fight back. The little girl couldn't fight back. If she had any will whatsoever, they beat it out of her. Don't pretend that she wanted to be here. She didn't. Paul would say, listen, this is the way people are. People that are powerful use other people. It's amazing. You've probably heard the quotation by Lord Acton, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You heard that, right? I looked it up this week. That's not the whole quote. Here's the whole quote. Power tends to corrupt 
Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. That was an observation from 150 years ago. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Great men are almost always bad men. Something about power and love of money and those kinds of things tends to corrupt us absolutely and makes us no longer good people, but powerful people. The fact that someone is corrupt doesn't mean they can't hold political office, does it? And no, I'm not pointing to one guy or the other. I'm pointing to everybody in the big room, aren't I? Right? Democrat, Republican, Libertarian. I grew up thinking that if you were a politician, you were the cream of the crop in this culture, the best and the brightest. And I'm pretty disappointed in a lot of them, aren't you? Because you know what? They're just like those guys with the little girl, using their power to manipulate and exploit others. Not all of them, of course, but it's pretty common. Paul would say, listen, don't be surprised. This is the way this is in this world. This world is a sinful place. One of the other things is the powers of be are sometimes unjust. The magistrates saw what was happening. They knew the story. They heard the crowd. And so they ruled in favor of those people that had purchased that little girl and were manipulating her. Again, no secrets. Everybody knows what was going on. But they ruled in that favor because that's where the money was, the status quo. Paul would say, and Sylvanus would nod his head agreeably, this is just the way of this world. This is what we're trying to change. The way of Jesus is completely different. Remember when Jesus came, people expected him to come on a white horse and beat up everybody. That was the goal. The Jewish people wanted the Messiah to come and beat up all the bad people and set up rule in Jerusalem and have Jewish people beat up everybody else. That was their goal. Jesus instead came quietly in the night. When he did get on an animal, it was a donkey. Jesus chose that for a reason. To show that his kingdom was unlike anything of this worth. Not based on power. Not based on exploitation and using other people. But based on humility and service. That's just one of the reasons that people didn't necessarily like the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. Because he was so different. He challenged the ways of this world. The powerful are often incredibly corrupt. If I stopped there, it'd be kind of a bummer, wouldn't it? Well, a preacher said the world's going to hell. And I didn't say that, but I wouldn't disagree with that. We are. In fact, if someone asked me out in the forum the other day if they thought our culture was evil, I said, oh yeah. We're worthy of whatever we get. I used to hear preachers say that and thought he was just blowing smoke. But it's true, isn't it? At our best, we can be pretty good. But at our worst... All of us here can use and manipulate other people. We can take advantage of people who aren't as smart as us or as powerful as us or as outspoken of us. I've been having a dispute with a thing on my car. Uh, I got an extended warranty. And those things are a trap. And you know that. And I bit. And anyway, I'm sure it's a good warranty. Just no one picks up the phone, which means you can't make a claim on the warranty. And they say... Well, you just got to keep on trying. Well, my mechanic says, Kevin, come get your car. I haven't got time for this. So I'm fussing with somebody who 
has exploited my ignorance and taken advantage of me because I don't have 24 hours a day to sit on the phone and neither does my mechanic and so on and so forth. So I don't think this is an unusual thing. The other night I got up in the middle of the night, one of those things I often have to do, and I was reading Scientific American and it's the most recent copy, 522, and there was a story of how developers are moving in to Brazil into the forest and they found a stand of untouched old-growth mahogany trees. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. And they're perfect. They are worth tens of thousands of dollars per tree. So they found the indigenous peoples who live in that jungle and yes, they run around half naked and yes, they don't have cell phones and they're just exactly what you'd think of living in the middle of the jungle. And you know what they gave them for those trees? A box of matches per tree. Because the indigenous peoples thought that matches were pretty cool because they have to start fire. It didn't matter that the matches only cost 10 cents a box because they didn't understand the money system. And finally now the courts have gotten involved and found out what's going on and found out that these, these rich folk from all different places in the world are taking advantage of the indigenous peoples and paying them almost nothing for valuable things. That's exactly what we're talking about. Paul would say, see I told you, nothing's changed. And like I said, if I stop there, it'd be pretty discouraging. But I'm not going to stop there because there's something else going on in this story. And that is the idea that God is continually at work in a very fallen world, follow along with me, Acts 16, beginning at verse 25, where we left off. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you should be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So here's this story, worst case scenario, Paul, beaten. The, the whole trip started off pretty good at the woman's prayer meeting, but it went downhill from there pretty quick. False charges, angry crowd, beaten with rods, imprisoned. And then God began to work and do what God does, work in a crummy situation to bring something good. Earthquake, open doors, the jailer getting saved. This is what God does. Sylvanus would say, listen, this is what God does. And we keep forgetting that whenever we work in these places and we get into these miserable situations, we have to remember God is working. We don't see it necessarily. Sometimes we're looking at the wrong thing. We may be looking at what's going on with us and it's negative, but we don't see the big picture. 
Sometimes it's hard to see the big picture when you're suffering, and I understand that. We're human. Paul would say, you have to look past you and see how God is working. On screen is this passage of Scripture. Read this with me. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Paul in another letter explaining that you don't know what God is doing. You cannot. You cannot know how God is working in someone else's life just because right now you're standing knee deep in bad stuff. You have to look beyond you. You have to look beyond now because God may be working in ways that you cannot see. I've seen God do some pretty amazing things and you'd think, me being a preacher, that I would go, oh, of course. Instead, I go, well, what do you know? Just like you. Because I tend to forget. I tend to focus on the misery right now and miss the big picture. God is always at work. So on screen are a couple things that God can do. Again, if Paul were here, he could tell us these things. When God wants something done, he will rise up followers who will give their all. I have never ceased to be amazed at what God does in churches. When he wants something done, he makes it happen. People stand up. People volunteer. People go, I'll do that. Or if they don't, I've begun to understand that maybe God didn't want it to happen. Years ago at one of my churches, I wanted to have a Chinese ministry, a ministry of Chinese. Where I was in Rolla, Missouri, there was a large population of Chinese people. And I wanted a Chinese church to meet in our church. And so I worked hard for five or six years to get that going. And I would seek out people that were Chinese, of Chinese origin and Christian. And all those kinds of things. And I'd spent a lot of money. And I had to work hard to get my church to be open to that idea. And I just knew it was going to happen. Finally, I was able to achieve getting a pastor who was going to be a good job. And he was an on fire for Jesus kind of guy. Spoke the language from, from Chinese, etc., etc fail three times didn't happen for a lot of reasons God wasn't ready to do something there then there is a large church there now not in the church I was at but in the area God had other plans if I had just stopped talking maybe I could have heard something but I missed it God works. If something doesn't happen, maybe it means God doesn't want it to happen. And that's a hard thing too when it's something that you really want. But God is always working. When Paul went into Macedonia, he knew that God had called him. There was a vision. And the very first thing he did, remember, was go to the prayer meeting where a woman named Lydia, the seller of purple, who was wealthy, she got saved. She and all her household. Her friends... Her children, maybe a husband, her servants, the whole group got saved. And that's the way it worked in that ancient culture. God was working. So that's the first thing that happened. Now what I want you to do, still in chapter 16, look at verse 40. This is the last thing that happened. And they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, same woman, and they saw the brethren, and they encouraged them and departed. Now, this is what we know after the fact. Lydia was a strong woman, now Christian, wealthy, 
went home and started churches. Got involved in the whole Christian movement. Had a lot of money that helped. A lot of fire that kept it going. God was working, wasn't he? In that whole mess of Paul being stoned, I mean, beaten with a rod and imprisoned, God was working. And the last thing Paul did on his way out of town was stop and talk to Lydia and encourage her in the face, saying, listen, and I can only imagine he was saying, listen, don't let this stop you. God is working. And I can hear the preacher and Paul going, and I know he's going to use you in ways you can't even imagine. God's always at work. One of the other things on screen, God offers the gift of faith to those who will receive it. Lydia received it because she was open. No tricks, no extended invitations. Yes, I'll follow Jesus. She was ready. I don't always understand how that works. The Holy Spirit has to prime people's hearts and get them ready. And sometimes, as soon as they hear about Jesus, they're ready to go. Sometimes it takes months or years. But the Holy Spirit was at work. And, and we can't know this. All we can do is do what Paul did. Go and talk about Jesus. So, the lesson there for us, I guess, is because God is always working. Number one, don't let your circumstances discourage you because you don't know what God is doing. You don't know how he's using you. You don't know that he might use your witness to bring somebody else to faith. How you respond, how you talk about your experiences, whether you keep the faith or, or drop out of church and things like that. You know, people have a, a lot of ways of responding to hard times. Before you respond, think it through. How can I respond in a way that demonstrates my faith? In the middle of the night when I get up, and I, I usually have a gap of two or three hours in the middle of the night where I don't sleep, and, um, you know, I'll get on Facebook, and I never post anything. I just read what people write, which is usually pretty discouraging because people write a lot of stupid things. And I've got some good Christian friends, and they're really fine people. And they write the most vile, partisan, insulting things. And I, I, I'm to the point where, I mean, these are really fine people. And I think I'm going to have to be an intrusive preacher and just ask them, are you thinking about this? And I know that they're intelligent and they have a right to their conviction. That's okay. But this way it's being done, they're not thinking about how God can use them or if anyone's watching them. So when you post, before you hit send, please think, how is this conviction, how are my words going to be interpreted? Do I come across as a Christian with grace and love, or do I come across as a partisan hack who's baptized my own political opinion? You know, you, how you talk determines how you are perceived. So Christians, be careful. And I have to do it too, and I'll be honest with you. A lot of things that I want to post, I never hit send because after I read them, I go, oh my gosh, I'm one of those people. And I don't want to be one of those people, so I've got to be careful. God is always working. God uses Christians to sometimes do great things if they allow him to. On screen is a passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. What shall we say then to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Paul wrote this, he was writing to Christians who were right in the middle of it. He said, listen, God is with you. Don't allow your circumstances to get you down because God is at work. You may not feel good this week, month, year, I understand. Your situation might not be the best. But you don't know what God's doing. You can't. God is working in ways that you just can't understand and predict. So pray. Pray for strength that you can go on and maintain hope. Pray that God can use you. Pray for self-control. There's one. God, if you feel a conviction to say something, that's great. Say it in a way that honors Christ. That shows people that there's a God who loves that's working within you. And be careful with your tongue. It is an evil thing. Even if you have to sit post to make it go. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation this morning. This Mother's Day, consider Lydia's example. Not just the words of Paul and Sylvanus, but Lydia made a trip, wealthy, got saved, took the gospel, and went home and shared it in spite of everything. Why don't you stand with me as Nate leads us. for our church as we look to fill our youth leader position and a special thanks to the Kavanaugh's who are putting up with a lot of energy and they're they're just they just stepped up and they're leading and Rich Summers is going to be helping and pray for that whole effort for the next several weeks we thank you for, for them Terry come and lead us in a word of prayer please and if you get a chance hug your mama if you still can pray with me please and now to him who enables to keep us faultless and present us with great joy before the throne of God. To him be majesty and glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> 